0: We could have lost
1: $10 million.
0: How do you think about Modes?
1: Are you willing to spend the million bucks on tools? None of them are sexy or earth-shattering. We have all of the money. I'm in the trash business. We've got a lot.
0: It's like uh, you're trying to get inside of a castle, uh, but... You know, the drawbridge is up and they're shooting arrows at you and nobody wants you in the castle.
2: There's two ways to use your sword, right? There's 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 killing blows and then there's and there's there's getting points.
0: We will absolutely use that
1: as a sword. Ninety nine percent of the time, that is not enough.
2: You're playing chess against a grandmaster here. It's like I can see I can see every move before you do it.
0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 18 of the Operators Podcast. This is Mike with Simple Modern. We've also got Sean with Ridge uh, and Matt with Peeler Case and Lomi. We're all here and there will be a drop in from our fourth Jason with Hexclad here in a few minutes. Today we are going to be talking about a topic uh, that's a pretty critical one, which is how do you build competitive advantages in your business? Uh, and I'd like to start with my favorite quote on this subject, uh, the the term that we use uh, for a competitive advantage that's sustainable uh, is a lot of times we use the word moat. And I think that actually originates with this quote from uh, our friend Warren Buffett. Here's what he says. He says, we think of every business that they look at to invest in as an economic castle and castles are subject to marauders. And in capitalism, with any castle you have to expect that millions of people out there are thinking about ways to take your castle away. Then the question is, what kind of moat do you have around that castle that protects it? So basically what we're talking about today is how do you build something that you can defend? Because anytime, and we've all seen this, we've all seen businesses that kind of have a short amount of uh, success, and then then the clones come in, then the market share gets eroded, then the pricing power goes away, uh, and they're kind of a one-hit wonder or a blip on the radar. Obviously, we want to build businesses that that have real enterprise value and last. So, I guess to start off, guys, like, how do you think about moats, Matt? Let's start with you. How do you think about moats and competitive advantages?
1: I mean, first, I think about them a lot, um, particularly with Lomi. Like, that's this is like it's a it's a moat building exercise. Like, when you're trying to create a completely new category, Um, I actually wrote about like one of the first emails I ever sent out to my like little newsletter was on competitive advantage because I think in consumer. I don't know what you guys think, but I think in consumer competitive advantage is really hard to do. There's, there's not very many moats that are easy for consumer businesses. Like most consumer products companies, like we don't have access to network effects. Like we just don't. Um, so like the easy one for most consumer companies is like get to scale some kind of like scale economies, whether that's an impact on cost or maybe like on your ability to explore. I know Sean, you've done this really well with Ridge like as you guys have gotten bigger you're like your category expansion your ability to go out and explore that is a competitive advantage right like a smaller competitor will not have the scale to do that they don't have cash they don't have the customer knowledge they don't have the inherent knowledge all that stuff so like for us the way I look at this whole thing is like what makes sense like strategically makes sense for the business so for Lomi we spend a lot of time on um, IP uh, like lots of IP. So patents like R and D, all that stuff. Um, we spend time on policy. So like, I know we've talked about it, but I'm in the trash business. Waste management is kind of our enemy. That's who we're going against. Waste management is a like $2 trillion a year, global industry, lots and lots of legislation. So we like, we really pay attention to legislation like city, county, state, federal, Um, we do that both in Canada and the U S. Um, and then I also like, there's for us, I don't know if this applies for you guys. I'd love to hear your opinion, but like, um, we have contract modes. So like we have, when we designed and built Lomi, right? Like just standing up that supply chain, it's not an easy thing to go replicate. So like, you can't call our manufacturer and have them make you a Lomi knockoff. Like they are completely locked up. So like in order to to make a Lomi knockoff.
0: Can you you elaborate on that, Matt? How did you you lock them up? Can other manufacturers replicate what they've done with Lomi? Yeah, and they are now.
1: Like it's just, it's a higher, it's a much higher bar, right? So like to make a Lomi, you now need to go buy one, bring it to another manufacturer, say reverse engineer this. Okay, great. That manufacturer is going to turn around and say like, all right, are you willing to spend the million bucks on tools to make this thing? And like most, you know, people on Amazon aren't going to spend that kind of cash to make a white label, like uh, to make an Amazon product. Right. So like the only real competitors I get are real companies who are willing to like, that have the capital to to invest in like manufacturing lines and tools and, you know, so like locking up the manufacturer, with for us, like that was one of the first things we did. And we did that that's partly it was like relationship, long time relationship with this manufacturer. And partly it was like we were going to them with like tens of millions of dollars in business and saying, you can have it, but you cannot, like literally, like you were gonna mm-hmm. sign your kids away. Uh, to you cannot ever make another one of these for anybody else. Yeah. Right. And that was a good one because that like if you look at it now. I have one meaningful competitor in this space, um, and there's others trying, but they are
0: not making very good things. So like, tell us about the IP, Matt, like how much, how restrictive is the IP that you've been able to create? How, how the defensible, what have you learned there?
1: I'm a big fan of IP. Like I love what Sean does at Ridge and I, I can't, I can't wait to hear from Sean today. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of IP with the caveat that I think a lot of people blow their brains out on IP that they're never going to use, right? So like the number one rule of IP is it's a sword, it's not a shield. So mm-hmm. if you're going to look at IP as a moat builder, like it's not a good defensive moat. IP is like, I'm going out to attack everyone that comes anywhere near me. And like these things that I, these assets that I own. So, you know, for Lomi, like years of R&D. So there's, Process patents. There's design patents. There's utility patents. Um, it's trademarks. There's copyright. We like we've got software, hardware patents on like some of our firmware and algorithms. Like we've got a lot in process, um, and that's just because like we're doing things that nobody's really done before, or we're doing them in novel ways. And we look at it like we will absolutely use that as a sword when it makes sense. Now, I also have other IP, not very expensive IP, um, where we own it, but we don't really go out and attack with it.
0: Mm -hmm. So there's other
1: value to that.
0: A a couple of points that you made, Matt, that I think are worth just emphasizing. I really think one of the reasons why we're talking about moats today is, in e-commerce and in consumer, moats are hard, I think. And part of why moats are so freaking hard is because of china and china you know it used to be that if you had a unique you know level of quality in your product that you could just kind of win the market and and you could count on that being enough that you just had a superior product Uh, but now china is so good at being able to deconstruct quality products even products that sometimes have ip around them and find solutions where they go around that without violating the ip that it's really made some of the things that probably felt like moats 50 years ago or 70 years ago, uh, they're not today. And so I think, anyway, it's a great point. Okay, so Sean, on the IP issue, I know this has been um, something you guys have, uh, as to use Matt's words, you guys have pulled out the sword. So tell us about what does it look like for you to build moats with Ridge today?
2: Yeah, well, first let's talk about China as a concept, right? What I'll say is, Capitalism cuts both ways. So we move manufacturing to China because we want, I I think, really, it was like we want to find the lowest cost manufacturing. We did it to Japan in the past, Korea in the past. And now China's losing manufacturing to Vietnam, Indonesia, other countries. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that was, you know, that was us, or I shouldn't even say us, it was just the entire industry, the entire world getting lazy trying to uh, you know, find the next five points of margin or 10 points of margin. Um, and then it creates a bunch of people who know how to make stuff in China and they don't give a about your thing. They're trying to build their own thing. Right. And, you know, we can point to, uh, you know, uh, knockoff actors in China and be like, Oh, they're evil or bad or like they're anti-American or whatever. But it's the same as, you know, there's 10 Buy now pay layer apps. It's like it's the exact same thing, like 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 software capitalism, you know, uh cloning things. So while it is true that the bulk of IP violations are coming out of China, and I think I think what Mike what Mike was talking about was a design around. Someone gets a design patent that only covers the look and feel of something and not the function of something, right? Design patents can only cover look and feel. So you show them a photo and be like, okay, I'll just make it look different, right? And that's why Mm -hmm. there's tons of similar things in the market. And then you get utility patents to cover the function of something, right? Like Yeti's water bottle keeps it cool because of these functional things. That's just really hard to prove in court because you have to explain to 12 random people, you pull off the sidewalk, this is how this thing works. So anyway.
0: And as a side note on that, insulation, vacuum insulation was patented and has come out of patent and so no yes. one can patent it, which is yeah. uh, in, in our industry makes, makes it super interesting is that the core technology. I mean, if somebody had vacuum insulation patented right now, they would make a gazillion dollars, but, but that's not how it works. Somebody else patented it and didn't actually maximize the opportunity. It fell out of patent and now uh, everybody's able to use it. There's no way to defend that.
1: Are you guys familiar with Gore? Yeah, you know Gore-Tex? Yeah, yeah. Have you seen the company? No,
2: I, I I don't know who actually makes it. Teach us so, about
1: it. it so Gore Tex is made by a company. It's called Gore Industries. Gore, dude, they're freaking. They're an IP machine, right? And effectively, their business is just like they come up with materials and other stuff, and they license it out. And then, like, you've got Arc'teryx, will have, like, Gore-Tex jackets. Patagonia will have Gore-Tex. Everybody makes – Solomon makes Gore-Tex running shoes and mitts and everything. So, like – and there are – I think I heard they do, like, 400 million a year. Wow. Right? So, like, there's all these types of businesses in consumer that most of us in, like, our little echo chamber of our corner of the internet, we aren't even aware of, right? Like, most people aren't aware of, like, Lululemon's patent portfolio. <laughs>
2: yeah or I think three three m's the best example because I think they do twenty billion a year in revenue. They're like a fortune one hundred company and only do you, you know them from sticky notes and you know them from <laughs> you hang on your walls, but like they have if you buy something, it violates a three m patent that's just like the, the, the way the world <laughs> works
0: does it have like, adhesive on it you' violated three m in some way
2: yeah yeah, yeah. and um but let's let's talk about the concept of, of IP being a sword. IP is worthless unless you prosecute. So you yep. can have the, the, the best IP on earth, but like as soon as one person knows they're not going to get sued, the entire world knows they're not going to get sued, right? And it's why companies spend a f- ton of money on legal. and there's no cheap way to do legal, right? Uh, you know right now we're in an uh, international trade commission injunction we're suing a bunch of infringers who are based in china and essentially getting them to stop importing right and we're we're at a huge advantage in our space because there's no legitimate players right we have all of the money. So, you know, the cost to defend an ITC case, the minimum cost to do it correctly is $400,000 because you have to pay your lawyer and you have to pay experts to show up. And experts cost 200 grand. That's just like what they charge to come be an expert. They're professional witnesses, basically. And we're a real company with real domestic industry. We have hundreds of employees or whatever. And we have building we just bought and so we get to just roll people over because there's no legitimate competitors in the space right so we have we're, we're sharpening our sword right now and we're continuing to, to get better and better at it uh but you have if you, ip is not like i have a patent we're done right i we just settled a patent dispute that took three years it's like yep. and it cost us two million dollars so it's like having the patent takes a really <laughs> long time to actually you know it's it is a moat. I would say it's the widest, most shallow moat, unless you're re- yes. willing to dig that f- moat deep.
1: And we actually, I don't know, Sean, if I ever told you this, but for our, this isn't one of them, but like, so for our cases, this case business, we invented some material. Unfortunately, we couldn't get a patent on it because it was too similar to something else that was in market. Um, but we have patents on like the process to use the material to make these. What we also did was we created another case Um, it's really popular. Like it's a clear case. So like the back is clear. So you can see the phone and then the border is made from an elastomer. So it's like a hard plant-based plastic with a soft, uh, plant-based plastic as a bumper. So that combination of those two materials, we locked the shit out of that thing up. Like that Mm -hmm. thing is just like, so what happened is like, we launched the world's first compostable phone case. Then we came out with like this clear case. And the industry sells a lot of these things. Um, and a whole bunch of people tried to like knock it off and we went after them. And like every single one of them backed down because every single one of them was like, we don't want to fight this battle. Like this is just going to, it's a waste of money for everyone. So like that's a best case scenario when you use it as a sword is that they just back down.
0: Mm-hmm. 90% right? of the time they're going to fold just the, the potential yeah. cost. It's just not worth it.
1: Yeah, especially like, good, like real companies. Like we were going after like, hundred million dollar plus companies and they all like all of them are like nobody wins in these we're out we're good
2: yeah and especially you know there's there's two ways to use your sword right there's 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 killing blows and then there's and there's there's getting points in fencing right and getting points in (laughs) fencing is using your IP as a source of income. That's what 3M does, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, 3M doesn't stop Ford from making cars. What they do is like, okay, give us a dollar for every car you make. Like, that's that's a real agreement they have, right? Yep. Uh, and that's, that's IP as a source of revenue. That's what- We do know, that. Uh, yeah, yeah. And like, yep. the, the, the killing blow is if you go to Apple and you say, you violate our thing, you have to stop. Like we're not going to stop until you stop selling, or you have to give us lost profits because we could be selling it. And those are the things that take ten years, twenty years. Yeah. It's way easier to just on the table be like, "Look, we believe you. We're not going to go to battle." And you know, for Ridge, we we're doing we're only trying to do killing blows. It's a lot more difficult. Like I don't want a five dollar royalty for every knockoff sold. I just don't want you. On, I want you off the market, right? And that's yeah. that's why it's a taller task. Um, with the yeah, ground you're going after
1: knockoffs.
2: Like that's a that's right. a
1: whole other, that's a category of like, yeah. that's, you know, like the point of moats, right? Is is we all have competition and the entire point of competitive advantage and competition is like, it's a way to, it's either defense or offense relative to your competition. Like, right, loosely. So like what you're talking about, Sean, is the thing that Mike started with, which is like, there's it's so easy for knockoff products to come in because that's what we made. Like China's the world's greatest 3D printing machine. Mm-hmm. So like, that's just what they are. So like what you're talking about is knockoffs. Then there is like, there is IP as a, what you just hit on, which is like, this is actually a business model, right? And you don't see that as often, right? Go like WL Gore associates, I think is the actual name of the company. Like that's one example. Like we do this with Pila, like our materials, we licensed it to um, Kalo for their little silicone rings, right? Like they make compostable workout rings. Um, like, and we're doing this with a bunch of other, like weird stuff, like medical applications. Like there's so many things so, like, we take our material and like, we'll license it to these agreements. So like, but that's a term. like it takes so long to build those businesses. They're not pure consumer. Um, but they're, it's born out of our consumer business.
0: We are big fans of Lane here at the Operators Podcast. And we want to let you know about an event they have coming up, the, their Roundtable event in San Diego. We are going to be filming a live Operators Pod on September 18th. So we hope that you can join us there. We would love for you to come and be a part uh, of the roundtable and the, the, the whole event, see us film a live pod, and also learn more about SendLame, which is a great option to help you with all of your email and SMS delivery needs. If you are a part of our Slack group and many of the people who are listening to the pod know this, that we have a Slack group for um, people that are running businesses and the first 10 people that directly message Jimmy will be getting free tickets to the Commerce Roundtable. So you heard that right. If you go into the Slack channel and you message Jimmy Kim directly, then you if you're one of the first 10 people, you'll get a free ticket to the Commerce Roundtable. We'd love to see you there. Yeah, well we've touched on this before. Sean, you've made this point. It's easier than ever before to stand up a business. You can stand up a business in 30 minutes almost, you know, like because of Shopify and the ease of the tools. But it's harder than maybe ever before to build a defensible business, for the same reasons. Like somebody's made this observation; I think it's a good one. The easier that the faster a business can grow, the faster it can be collapsed, you know, or the less uh, defensible it is a lot of times. And so we can kind of worship growth, but a lot of times, if you can scale something exponentially, then it can come that that can come down in a hurry. And typically, businesses with really strong moats. They take longer to build. As you're saying, it takes a lot of freaking digging and it takes a lot of money to, to build it. But then as that thing gets ramped up, it's really hard to, for competitors to disrupt it. I'll, I'll share uh, just one from Simple Modern. Uh, for us, the, the most obvious and easiest one is licensing. So we uh, have licensing agreements with pretty much everybody at this point. Uh, it all goes back to getting the University of Oklahoma, which was my alma mater, to give us what's called a local license. And then we gradually were able to build that out to all the colleges and then added pro sports, which I know Sean just jumped on that train uh, with the NFL Um and, and we added Disney and all this other stuff. And licensing has been tremendous for us. But licensing is literally like they give you a contract that's you can sell these things and you can sell them in these places and that's it. And th- this type of product, these places, um, and, and that's it. That's all you're uh, able to do. And they try to keep it where each channel. So for example, Amazon, where maybe they have two or three people that even have the right or the ability to sell in that channel. So they impose these kind of uh, oligopolies um, so that there's not a lot of price competition and people beating each other up because uh, the the people that you're doing the licensing for, uh, they're incentivized for the sales prices to be high so they can get good royalties. Um, And it's interesting. I've told people, you know, to go back to a castle analogy, I've told people about licensing that it's like, it's like uh, you're trying to get inside of a castle, uh, but you know the drawbridge is up and they're shooting arrows at you and nobody wants you in the castle. But if you do get in the castle, then all of a sudden you get treated like the king because you're now making the money and they don't have any risk. Like you're just you're you're basically just helping uh, fill their bank account. So uh, incredibly difficult to get started, and part of the reason why it's so hard to get started in licensing is because to get someone to say yes, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna make you uh, a license a licensee for us. Uh, they they have to believe you can sell their product, but you can't prove you can sell their product unless you have the license. And so it's kind of this uh, you know, this this kind of chicken or the egg thing. But anyway, it's been a really powerful thing for us. There's there's several others I could talk about.
1: Yeah. So I think Mike, um like what you did with licensing, what simple modern with licensing, I know Sean, you've done this as well. We've done it with Pila Case where like we made the assumption, here's a good example, actually, of where licensing is defensible, but maybe not as much as you think it is. Um, so, Pili case, phone cases, mega competitive category, massive category, licensed to all high hell. Like, if you're Disney, there's like, and you, all Disney properties are on some kind of phone case somewhere. So, you would think like, somebody owns that, can't get in. Well, we went to, we can go to any of them and we can just say, yeah, but none of you have. A phone case that is uh, compostable and sustainable, and that that would fall outside the little box that they contracted with, like another massive phone case company, right? Mm -hmm. So it didn't take a whole lot for us to pierce that defense in this industry.
0: Yeah, they. So I think like they look for two things really. They look for. Really, they're they're two sides of the same coin. Are you reaching new customers with my IP that are going to bring in more money? And so one way you can make that argument is, hey, I am driving a ton of traffic. You know, Ridge, one of the, the arguments Sean made to the NFL, I'm sure, was, hey, you know, Ridge wallets are searched for more than the term men's wallet. And so there's a lot of traffic that we own. We are the retailer. And if you want to be sold in this retailer, which is a significant number of people, you need to license us. Uh, and then the other argument is we're in kind of a, a part of this category. We're a particular, unique part of this category that you're not represented at all. Like, hey, the eco-friendly crowd, you know, they're all buying this kind of stuff, and you're not represented at all. And if you want to reach them, you need to partner with case Yeah, exactly. So, I want to welcome Jason to the show from Hexclad. Jason has been off conquering the cookware world, undoubtedly. But uh, Jason, we're talking about moats. Would love to hear. What do you think uh, when you think about trying to build sustainable competitive advantages with uh, hexclad and moats, how are you trying to do it?
3: well I might have missed this you guys might have hit this earlier, but what do I always start with it's start by having good product a superior product <laughs> it's always about a superior product that's is that's that
1: defensible nice. uh, Jason Absolutely. like can I challenge you on that like how, you can so can hang on though can can nobody make a hex-clad
3: pan? Are well, you the
1: only ones capable?
3: Um, well, we. the second part of that mode is that we have patented technology. We have many, many That's patents, it. of course. However, yeah. um, there's also the manufacturing process is, is quite complicated. And yep. even without the patents, the know-how to making the product. Um is there are knockoffs if you go search, even some of them show up on Amazon. The product does not perform as are well. Are they good though? Um,
0: they, like they can't perform good. As well.
3: I mean you can look at the yeah, you know, yeah, you, you, you can look at the reviews, right? So um great product, IP to protect it. Um and I think the incredible number of happy customers that you've built. Around is is also a moat. The reviews are a moat. the The number of stars on your product is, is a moat. um So those are a few that just come to mind to me. None of them are sexy or earth shattering. I wonder if you could like almost think of like
1: customers. So one of the like the traditional like the the scholarly you know competitive advantage things is network effects. Like everybody talks about that as like. Such a, it's such a great moat, and in consumer you just don't have any natural ones, like in a in a physical good. But there is something you're saying, Jason, that I think is interesting for people, like for other brand builders, which is like having a like a raving fan base of customers, like really loyal, like they are fans, supers, like super fans. Not like I gave you a good review, but I am a super. I own everything HexCloud makes. That there is defensibility to that, like they're so they're unlikely to switch.
0: Yeah. Well, it's the net promoter score idea. It's one of the reasons I like net promoter scores and ideas that when somebody's like, yeah, I had an experience that I'd rate as a nine or a 10, my likelihood to tell other people is a nine or a 10 to your point, Matt. It's just very difficult to peel off those customers from somebody else or for them to be peeled off from your brand because they just have no incentive or reason to be open to switching. Yeah. Your pan may be great, but I'm, I'm a 10 out of 10 happy with my hex clad pans. So, you know, good luck. Pulling me off of that. Yeah. Like um, a great
1: product on its own is not defensible. I think people need to understand that. Like the whole, the C world has been full. I tell you like the thing we've all been watching the carnage, the C world for the last, I think decade has been full of, Hey, it's a, it's a good product. I don't know that there's definitely great products out there. Um, but what they tried to do was make like the user experience better. Like I think somebody told them that if you just make the user experience better, that that is on its own defensible and like it'll work. And that showed up in consumer as like the unboxing, mm-hmm. like how fancy can the packaging get, and how fancy, like that whole and like look at the content, all that stuff was around. Like when you're talking competitive advantage, like that's the bucket that I would just like that's user experience in consumer that is not defensible. Mm-hmm. 99% of the time, that is not enough, right? What Jason hit on is like, nope, it's a great product, no question. It's also got a ton of, pat, like it's got IP wrapped up in it. But I think there's that third one that I don't see talked about enough, and I think this applies to everyone here, and I really think it applies to you, Sean, is this like inherent knowledge moat. Right. So like there's the cultural recipe that happens in like you wind up making in companies, and most companies can't even tell you what the hell is in the recipe. Right. Like what's in the soup. But like, Ridge, like Sean, your and Connor's like marketing savvy is a moat. Like there's so many little things that you guys know that 99% of other people and consumer do not. You you've forgotten more than they'll ever know. Team, yeah, team, the team is, team, right? Team. But it's the inherent knowledge within the team over time. You're saying, like,
0: kind of institutional knowledge that gets, yeah, built
1: it's, on it's a team entirely emote, right? Yes. Like, it, and that it's it's not documentation, it's not how well your SOPs, it's not like a, a, a Google Sheet, it's not those things. It's literally like what Jason, what you talked about, like to make a hex cloud pan, there is the process itself is like complicated there's probably some art to it you sort of need to know like what to do to to pull it off right like it's that is institutional
2: knowledge inherent knowledge that's yeah. a mode use fulfills accounting integration to be audit compliant and ready if you want to sell your business or you want to go public or whatever else you're going to get audited and it's not by the irs it's by somebody you pay it's like you're paying for the worst health exam ever they're going to check every little nook and crown of your business to make sure you're not stealing money and buying vineyards and airplanes if you want that to go as easy as possible it's not going to be easy but as easy as possible you should use fulfills accounting integration the founder of fulfill is hands-on I mean we this guy's probably worth 40 million bucks and he's texting you he's trying to jump in he's trying to get on calls with you the hands-on approach is good whenever you pay money for a service uh, and he will make sure that you're integrated correctly with Fulfill's accounting integration. I'm on it, works great. Tag team to Jason. We
3: implemented Fulfill as well um, for inventory management and we had a big mess on our hands last year, big mess. Um, and I'm not hearing any nonsense from my team. Like, you know, you know when something is going well, when you're just not hearing about the problems from your team anymore. Like that's, it's not like, oh, everyone's saying anything is great. It's like, all of a sudden, I don't get a weekly call or text or Slack about a problem because our inventory is dialed and we are sending product to multiple channels, multiple countries, um, not as many units as Mike Beckham. But, um, and honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure and there were things that um, we wanted them to do and we pushed them hard to do it. And you know, it was like a big back and forth and then we got there. So like, you're right, the, the team at Fulfill, they're very hands-on and you know that they care about getting the results that you want and those are the vendors that you want to speak to.
2: Yeah, so you know, we're talking about a lot of stuff I think there's three moats. I think there's experience, which could be, you know, institutional knowledge in your organization, or just the fact that like we used to run an agency, so we just know how to make money, right? The second one is money. Money lets you just buy whatever you want. It's like, hey, you know it'd be a great moat. If you wanted to, if, if, like, if you're like, hey, I want to have a monopoly on land in, Manh- in Manhattan, enough money can get that monopoly done, right? Experience can't, it's just enough money gets that done. The third one is relationships, right? You know, you, you talk about contracts with your manufacturer, right? And really, that's just a relationship. You have a really solid relationship mm-hmm. with somebody who could who will help you. And yep. relationships can also be influence, right? Kim Kardashian has a moat because she has a relationship with all of her fans on Instagram or whatever else. But th- when I think about Ridge, I think about those three moats. It's like, what does my experience say? And like, how does that provide clarity with where we're going? I have money now. What can I buy to make my business better or more defensible? Right. And the third one is who can I meet? that I can help them, they can help me build this better business. So I think they've gone to three buckets, but I'd love to hear your guys' take on that.
1: I think the money thing is like the the classic scale economies, economies of scale thing, right? Like the more that you get, the more that you can invest in. And that's either like reducing cost or what you're describing, Sean, is like you're taking the money and you're turning it into other assets, like other things, right? Exploration.
2: Yeah, and I was going to post about this today, but there's only a couple things I want to buy still with Ridge, right? So we bought Everyday Carry. That was great. We just bought a building. We're we're buying shares in some of our manufacturers. We're buying up and down those those chains. And we're going to do a deal with an influencer to take some of their knowledge and bring it into the organization. You didn't hear me say I'm buying e-commerce brands, right? Because everything Mm -hmm. is buy it or build it. And I'm amazing at building e-commerce brands. I don't need any help. I don't need to acquire any e-commerce brands. I need to buy things that I don't have the experience in. I, I don't have yep. that internal knowledge on, right? I had no fucking idea how to make a blog or a community or anything like that. I had to buy
0: everydaycarry.com, right? Well, but one... I didn't... Oh, go, <laughs> go ahead, John. No, go ahead. Keep going. You're on. a good one. Uh,
2: I was just gonna say I didn't buy the watch company that came to us or the sunglass company that came to us or X, Y, or Z, because that doesn't excite me. I can look at their business and know that I'm better at doing it than they are, right? And no offense to them that, you know, they've they've built a great business, but it's like, you know, you're you're playing chess against a grandmaster here. It's like I can see I could see every move before you do it, right? But I've never played volleyball before. <laughs> like, so <laughs> you could you could be the world's worst volleyball player, but I don't know how to fucking play. So you you have knowledge, internal knowledge that I don't have, right? And I can use my second mo- money to to acquire that knowledge internally. Bernard and Everyday Carry has been like the perfect example of that internally. I once
1: heard uh, somebody dis- – I can't tell you where it was, guys. I, I would love to give this person credit. Um, someone describe Apple's true competitive advantage was just free cash flow. Yeah. So, and it's just like, and not in like everything they do, but I was somebody. I was like, man, I really wish I knew. They were talking about like why did the iPhone win against Android, and some people could say like, well, it hasn't won. It's just like how you count, right? But this person's argument was that the reason that the iPhone is so damn successful and that they're able to do everything and that Android, all the Android competition can't, is that on a per unit basis, Apple generates so much fricking free cash flow from selling iPhones. That the other companies don't have the resources to pour into competing with Apple, they they gobble and they, it's actually like totally. actually here's the point they gobble up the categories free cash flow.
0: So right? here's here's one thing that's really interesting, just as an example of that, Matt, because I think it's we're riffing on this idea of money is can be used as a moat, but for sure if you do it if you do it right. And here's one small example of exactly what you're saying. How do you think Apple gets their iPhones from China to the US? They don't put them on ships. They put them on planes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And air shipment is way more expensive than sea shipment. But when you've got the kind of margin per unit that Apple has on their phones, you airship those puppies. Let's just talk about what are the ramifications of that. How much does that how much does that pull out of sitting in inventory? because you can be that much quicker and that more much more just in time how much more up-to-date does that make your release when you release it from you know what I mean like there's all of these ways where that makes their business better because of a simple thing like they don't care about spending five or seven dollars a unit to airship it it doesn't matter to it's them actually
1: it making. even forces their whole supply chain so in the in the mobile accessory world, If you want to be in market at the same time as Apple dropping their phone, so like if you're one of those big players, you also have to airship all of your stuff because that's the speed that Apple's going at. We like one of the reasons that we built domestic manufacturing for Pila Case was so that when the iPhone launches, there is this like three week window where they sell a god awful amount of them. Right. And I wanted to capture our piece of that. Mm -hmm.
2: that was why Matt Matt, you know you said the whole mobile accessory market has to airship them. Well, unless they do it locally, right? Which is which is like the exactly. hack you saw. You, you're saving five dollars a shipment around release windows. You can you have that much more margin. you can be that much more competitive. Well, we can also and-
1: like we can react to the like it's a bunch of stuff, right? It's like react to the trends. And the thing that nobody knows when Apple releases a phone is which one of those three phones is going to be the thing they sell the most of. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I like mean- if you're if you're a traditional company buying inventory in the phone case world. You're literally guessing. I think it's going to be the middle one this year, right? Well, one year it was the little one that freaking took off. Yeah.
0: Other example of this, and then I want to introduce another topic that's closely related with Sean talking about manufacturing. Like when you have a bunch of cash, you don't have to buy as tight and you don't have to be as right. So, to your point, Matt. You can have three different sizes and say, I don't know which one's gonna win, but I don't have to bet. I don't have to cut this thing really tight. I can buy big on all three sizes. I'll have enough of the winner. Yeah, I'm gonna have some extra of the other two sizes, but that's okay. It doesn't kill me to have that extra capital invested there. And there have been countless times I've seen in our business, if we can carry more inventory, we can capture more demand. It's just that simple. It's not always the most efficient demand capture, but it's it's certainly possible. But I want to transition us to something Sean was saying because I think, especially in e-commerce land, like this is important. 2020, 2021, everybody's like, it's all digital. That's all that matters. It's all SaaS. Like, who cares about the physical world? It's so stupid. And you know what we all learned in 21 and 22 is that the moats all exist in the physical world. You still have to move things, like the pan still has to get from China to the US and it's got to go in a warehouse somewhere and somebody's got to take it to their door. And uh, people that have invested heavily in infrastructure related things have used capital towards buying physical assets have been really rewarded in the last two or three years, to your point, Sean, whether that's manufacturing or land or, you know, whatever else.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I just want to take it – I want to go back to the Apple point for one second, guys. Okay. Apple has so much money and they don't get enough credit for this. I used to hate Apple. I thought they made the world's worst computers and it's because they made shells for Intel chips, right? That's what they did for, for 20 years. They were just very expensive shells for Intel chips. So, you got a really expensive, shitty computer. That changed like four years ago. They're like, yeah, we have the M1 now, right? And they built an entire chip supply chain with Taiwanese manufacturing, Chinese manufacturing, and U.S. manufacturing. And now the M2 is the greatest computer chip of all time, like destroys Intel, destroys anything coming out of China. And they did that. For fun, <laughs> like, I mean yeah. obviously they're, they're they're super they're super strategic and they're thinking about a post taiwanese world right where like the US doesn't think Taiwan's important anymore and and, and that chip manufacturing goes down, but they have hundreds of billions of dollars to do something like that and like I still don't think they get enough credit for that. I think Apple's a ten billion a ten trillion dollar company I agree. Uh, I mean, everyone talks about how great Apple is. I just want to double click that like, yeah, money as a moat. They got more money than God, man. you got to have
0: so much money to pay the ante on making semi, you know, making chips, for example. You you just (laughs) got to have crazy amounts of stuff on your balance sheet to even think about that.
1: Well, it's actually an interesting point that I think both of you are, not even the point, but like, it's an interesting place to go. And I'd be curious to get all of you guys, all of your opinions on this, but like at what stage of business building do some of these things matter or don't matter. So like if somebody's mm-hmm. listening to this right now and they're like I have a 10 million dollar brand. How should I be thinking of like competitive advantage? You know, like the, I think the easy answer there is like what Jason said, just like just focus on a great product and a great customer experience. But like if you're taking a slightly longer view, which I think all of you guys do, like none of you no none of you guys like I just are like what's going to happen in the next 90 days. Like you're yeah. looking years ahead. So if you're looking years ahead and you're giving a younger or a newer like consumer entrepreneur advice on this
3: where like where do you guide them I'm just looking at like all the early decisions we made using northbeam to get to where we are today when we were like 30 million and and 50 million in sales and and that's you know that's sort of where it, we started using it heavily and it really helped us and I'm, I'm just thinking back to some early advice that i received from other people not north beam when our facebook ROAS as was like sub one and they're like you're losing money you you cannot spend this money and every time i think about this i'm like actually if we had listened to those people we would have destroyed the business and i you know i give and Danny and I didn't know that much back in 2020 i think we've learned a lot since then and you know w- without northbeam and looking at that complete picture of everything we really would have destroyed our business uh, by by listening to the wrong people and not not at least having one source of truth in in northbeam
0: I really encourage people to think about it basically at the beginning. I mean, even pre-product market fit, which this is probably gonna be different than what Sean's gonna say, but the reason for that being, what's the point in doing anything if you can't hang on to it? You know, like you're gonna give your blood, sweat and tears and pivot around to try and get to product market fit. And then it's like, oh yeah, I haven't thought about if I could defend it. And six months later, you know, it's gone. And so I, I try to, you know, I actually teach this stuff at OU and I I try to impress upon students, even in the early stages when you're doing the conceptual work and trying to find product market fit, you should be at least playing the mental game of how are competitors going to come at me and how am I going to fend them off? And I'm not saying it's, you know, 30% of your mind share, but you should be putting some of your mind share. You should at least play through those scenarios because occasionally when you start to do it, you're like, I have nothing. I have no way to stop people, you know, that want to come in ten percent cheaper than me, or that want to attack me this way or that way, Um, and and so anyway, that's what I I advise. And I I, we do it obviously with our business, all four of us. But I think the earlier you can build that muscle, the better it is for you. It's
3: also very dependent on the stage that your business is in, right? Like there's there's various times where you need to focus on various things. Like I love when Sean. Mm -hmm keeps it real with people it's like you're a certain stage just spend your money on meta right like stop wasting Mm -hmm. your time Mm -hmm. there's different there's different levels of this as 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 things progress you know once you get product market fit um i mean if you have like a great idea you should protect your ip right away of course right like oh don't wait don't definitely don't wait um but yeah i mean the the business evolves and you have to think about moats differently over time as well like let's not forget that the way we think about modes is a lot different than someone who's like a a startup or b 5 million in revenue or 50 million it's it's just it's different dude
1: yeah i mean i like even just between Pila case and lomi like our two brands like our two businesses the ip and like ip and moat build everything is so different between those two companies there's certain overlap but like my god or like, lo me, I got to look like five to ten years into the future uh, around some of this stuff.
2: Yeah, I have the opposite advice of Mike. <laughs> Mike, Mike said <laughs> I love uh, it. he's like, he's like, when you start, think about your moat, think of how you're going to build competitive advantages. And I, my thing is, when you start, figure out how to you pay yourself. It's like, mm-hmm. like my, I think the realistic thing is, if you're listening to this podcast, you don't have a moat, like. Sorry, listener. Love you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing to our Slack and posting jobs on our job board and all that beautiful stuff you're doing and coming to see us at the Send Lane September 18th roundtable, whatever. You don't have a moat. <laughs> like, and like, if, if I'm think of the moats in the world. Apple can turn on sem- like semiconductor manufacturer if they want to. Amazon has a warehouse in every city in America. Those are pretty big fucking moats. I'm out here bragging that I spent a million dollars on a website. I don't really got a moat, right? I, I might have- I, I Well, might relatively have a speaking, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have a moat <laughs> that, that can keep grasshoppers out, right? And like. It's just, it's just the, the, the reality. If you listen to this, it's like, yeah, you're, you're manufacturing in China. You found your supplier on Alibaba. You're not doing anything hard. And it feels hard every single day. You're showing up and you're putting hours and effort into your, into your business. Not very fucking hard. Like, but, Sean, you're not, hang, on, know, hang on. Hang on. I need to
1: like push back a bit. Is this not the fucking problem with consumer? Like right there is like nobody is doing anything hard or few people are. Yeah,
2: dude, I'm 100%. I'm going to go, like, go do something it's hard It's really and the Jason's point,
0: protect it's it. It's really hard. That's the whole point. It's it's freaking hard because it's so hard to protect. Like I'm going to go the other way, Sean, and be like, at what everybody's doing, if you don't have a moat, your life is exponentially harder. You're constantly being attacked. You can't sleep at night without somebody coming at your castle. It's like that this is one of the reasons why I think it's important to at least conceptually prepare yourself for the fact that, hey, you hit a home run, you're successful, great now everyone's coming for you be ready for that and and i think matt to your point it's like i think consumer is the ease is what makes it hard is the point that i would make right yes it's easy to find five people in china that'll make your stuff but that's what makes it hard to keep selling it 18 months or 36 months in the future because everybody else knows that
1: yeah i think sean i agree sean i think that what you're saying is like just learn how to do the thing first I do agree with Mike though, that I think like very quickly and Jason, like very quickly, like I came up with something new and novel. You should think about how you're going to protect that.
2: Right. I just want to take a historical example. Okay. So I don't believe Switzerland's ever been successfully invaded by an outside force. Right. <laughs> and that's because it's very hard to invade Switzerland. They are in the mountains. Right. And do you guys know what the Comanches, they're they're a native American tribe that was on the plains to Texas They got their asses kicked by every other tribe surrounding them over and over again because the plains of Texas are hot, flat, and dry. There wasn't a good place to build a moat, right? So I'm oversimplifying the history of the Comanches. They ended up being total badasses because they got horses and they were super good at riding them. But pre-horses coming to, to, to the New World, they just got destroyed. And we're talking about moats. We're talking about the allegory of defense here. And... The reason why in consumer it's so hard to defend is because you're the Comanches on the plains. There's marauders <laughs> left and right, dude. Mm-hmm. You like Mike has built a little bit of a sand castle and some dunes, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's you know, Amazon and Apple have built the monopolies of Switzerland. Super fucking hard to invade. And that's just like, you know. I agree, you should look for moats, right? And I spend money trying to develop moats and build moats. And, and the best thing we have for moats is brand, right? There's a reason why, yeah. you know, I think premium products win more in D2C. But, but just just in the relative scheme of things, the reason there's so many people attacking us is because it's easy to get into. It's very hard to be successful. Yeah, but brand and foot are yeah. great moats,
0: yeah. I, I think I'm understanding your point more, Sean, because I think what you're saying is, You make money by being great at doing something, even if it's hard, even if there is a lot of competition. And it's uh, easier to build the skills of being good at doing something and knowing how to make money than it is to build. A defensible moat, because when you have a defensible moat, you can make money even if you're not as good at doing something, because you have these natural kind of built-in advantages. And I think if that's what you're saying, I think it's a good point. And it's it's right. We don't want perfect to be the enemy of the good. I would never want anybody to hear me say that. Like, hey, if you can't figure out how to make an Amazon-level moat, then you should never launch your product. It's like good luck. Nobody will ever launch anything, right? But
1: not in consumer,
0: not in consumer. Yeah. Consumer. (laughs) I, when you were talking about that, Sean, I was like, consumer is like Asia and risk. Like anytime you play risk, if you start going after Asia, you are going to lose. It's just, it's written. Well, hang on. Let me
1: ask you this then. I want all three of you guys to ring in. Start with you, Jason. Is there a consumer brand or maybe not even a brand, a company in consumer, a big one, probably an old one that you guys could point to to say like, done a pretty good job, like super, like super defensible. Lots of people have taken a run at them. Nobody's really taken them down. Like who comes to mind when you think like, shit, they'd like, their competitive advantage. They've stacked up a bunch of things. You can't point to one thing, but like,
2: who is it? I got mine. Right. Jason, I, know. Come on. I got a funny feeling all right I've well, got
3: have, too. Well, i'm gonna have one in a second i'm trying to decide which one i want to use
2: so sean do yours first all right he has too many good thoughts that's that's what's going on with jason <laughs> that's the issue uh, Man, it's full of all the good stuff <laughs> i i might surprise you when i say uh patagonia if you're talking about single brands i mean yep. i think there's a couple other really great ones i'm leaving there for you guys to take but Patagonia has just stayed true to who their customer is the entire time. They've built an amazing business that does a billion plus in revenue. And they don't give a fuck what Lululemon or Viore or even REI ask of them. They're like, we're doing exactly what we want to do. They, I, I think they're the unsinkable ship. Uh, they're, gonna, they're, they're the American version of the LVMHs. They're a they're hundred plus year legacy brand being built. So that's my okay. guess.
0: I, I did not notice this when I was thinking of this answer, but it's, to me, it's Nike. And the, the transformational thing with Nike was that they got certain key athletes, one in particular, locked in on an exclusive deal. And that's another example of a moat. They were the brand that got Michael Jordan to be exclusively with them, and it fundamentally altered the level of moat and the business that they would turn into. Uh, Like, I mean, they were okay as a running shoe company up until that point, but it's this massive inflection point. And it was because they got exclusive, they were the exclusive footwear provider of the most recognized athlete in the world.
3: Mm. Jason. Well, I was going to say Gucci, you know, but but Mm. that might be too easy. I mean, it it might be too easy, but they've been they've they've stood the test of time, right? They've been around for a very long time. You can you can lump a lot of those luxury guys like 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 Louis Vuitton, but I mean, they Gucci's been around forever. The G's, like the, what they do, um, like their products are are excellent. I mean, but they're they're like not that different than YSL and all of the, They they manage to to maintain relevancy, and I think it. Has to do with a lot of it. They've built a brand over time, and you know they have culture, man. Excellent people. I was about to say excellent people because because their design is is like classic yet on the edge. Like they Mm -hmm. like you get the weird stuff. Like I was at a party in the Hamptons, and uh, um, what's his name? Doogie Howser and How I Met Your Mother. Um, Why am I blanking his name? I'm like low blood sugar right. Now. Neil Patrick Harris yeah. it was at his house and he's wearing like a silk Gucci suit. Um <laughs> it was crazy and I'm like love it. I'm like could I rock that suit? Don't know. But um but like but then but then you have also like the classic stuff like the classic shoes and and all that so they they manage they still rele- they they a lot of the really good fashion brands are good at that. Like they're good at like pushing the envelope on part of their line but um but not the rest um there's the classics and that like keeps them relevant Yeah.
2: yeah i was just gonna say the luxury fashion houses i mean are a great answer but but they they are actually the best at understanding when to not be relevant right the reason why gucci isn't a flagship brand it's or like it's the flagship brand under a holding company is because at some point you have overexposure and luxury and you need to sunset a brand for a little bit. I mean, LVMH has done it countless times, right? And like, you know, I think it's going to happen to Hermes next. Hermes is the single most valuable standalone company on earth. Uh, maybe there's an argument Nike's more, but I've, I've already written a podcast. I've already written a newsletter about that. Uh, and... Hermes will sunset as a brand because because you cannot stay cool forever. Um but yeah, the the luxury fashion houses are a great answer, Jason.
1: I mean, Hermes when you say sunset, what they do is they actually back out of of public. Like they back out of the limelight.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Because they, they these companies have such a long view of the world because they've been around for so long. Like, you know, one of the one I was I I read up on this the other day. So, I built the house that I'm in right now 2 years ago, and one of the things I did was I bought a like this Italian stove. Jason, you ever hear this company, Bertazzoni?
3: No, send me the picture. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll recognize kay. it. Okay.
1: 1882 is when this mm-hmm. company started. It's
3: 141
1: yeah. years old. They do hundreds, like, I think, I don't know, 500, 700 million. It's some big-ass number. Yeah, that's,
3: that's good marketing uh, well, on their part, by the way. I would fact right? I check that. I would fact check it.
1: It's freaking yeah. insane. They've been around forever, um, and there's a bunch of there's these a companies couple, like, that in that time. space. But,
3: yeah, there's a couple like really old ones in that space. I mean, yeah, really, really impressive. Um,
1: you know the one that impresses me the most though, from like a pure like holy shit, that was it's an Nespresso. Mm. Like, that is a beast of a business. Yeah, came out with a device, had a cons- like razor razor blade. But then had a, like their business model was on its own innovative, right? Like they, from day one, I think it's like you can buy the machine anywhere, but you can only buy the pods from them. Yeah. And it's all subscription and they do like four or five billion a year in straight up subscription revenue. And the machines are just like, yeah, yes, you can buy that shit in a target. And they make a breville one and they like so they took their the nespresso thing they licensed it out did partnerships with all the other appliance guys to make like their version of a nespresso machine but they kept the pod business that is a freaking stroke of genius
0: they have like an end cap in target that i think they pay a million or two million dollars uh every every fourth quarter just for that end cap it's just yep. like we're gonna buy that real estate we've got the money to do it we're gonna own yep.
3: it yeah yeah you know what I but I do want to talk about something that happened yesterday, um, which is which okay. is relevant, right? So, our number mm. one supplier sends an email yesterday morning to say that, um, why are we sending we sent you instructions for this for the new bank account already? Why are you oh, sending no. to our old bank account? Okay, no, um, no, yeah. Jason. So, no. Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 we caught this. Come I've on. got Who Surrender you Cobra
0: on tap. I'm from
3: Staten Island. I'm from Staten Island. Do You think they're gonna go get killed <laughs> on me? Come on so i immediately said to my to my team call her our person you know um and then the the people and i copied the person and they they replied saying oh such and such you know we're it's not timing in korea because they're in korea actually um and so um they tried to get us to like call the different like they were going to call us and anyway it was really good though i mean it was really good it it was really convincing so um People have been getting beat by this stuff. I mean, it's crazy. We have a lot of um, other kinds of scams from quote unquote customers. We had one recently, like people are buying big sets and using a different card. It's the, the amount of fraud that's out there is incredible, and everyone. So the panzerism is today. Today is to like everyone needs to be like absolutely paranoid about fraud right now. And on every level, and even when um, it, it drives me crazy when the bank calls me when I'm trying to send wires and like, did you did you do this? You know, did you did you call the did you call the provider and did you check the account and all, But I mean, we could have easily sent millions of dollars yesterday, millions. So everybody needs to be like incredibly vigilant. Like we are buying probably um, between 12 and $15 million in product a month right now, as we stock up for Q4. And I mean, we could have lost $10 million. Like it, it it was pretty, it was literally the email was from the supplier who we've been talking to for five years. Like this is our number one person. And it's not like it was somebody new to change. like, and there's weird stuff going on in overseas now, and, and anyway, and so it's like, hmm. It actually made sense to me that you want to change the bank account. I'm like, no, put this down. Like, don't do it. And but we could have, we were like run, one wrong decision away from multiple mm-hmm. millions of dollars being gone.
1: We've Man, we've all had that. it's like a near death
0: experience.
1: Like it's wait like a... wait like we're in that world now, guys. We're like AI. Yeah. Like oh gonna, yeah, it's coming. Gonna, it's not even coming, voicemail. Man.
0: Just wait until you, you can have a real conversation, and, and you know Jason's controller is having a conversation with Jason, but it's not Jason. You know, right? That's that's what's coming. Oh, oh Sean,
1: in office, dude. Your remote versus in office thing—it's all gonna die in this world because, like, Jason, Jason's gonna win because he's like, I got six people that sitting next to me,
2: <laughs> and they can't fake that shit. No, dude, just just uh, everything requires five Slack approvals in, in, until they can hack into my Slack.
0: Uh, well, great thoughts, guys. I, I think that for sure, one of the things that, that we've come up with today is that there's a lot of different types of modes and they're really freaking hard to build. Uh, but number one, be a great operator. And then number two, use that excellence to figure out how to protect what you've created and be, be deliberate about it. We are signing off. Thanks, everybody, for joining with us. If you haven't, pound the subscribe button and join us every week.